first two words of the prayer, our Father. What, is it, what does the our in our Father mean? Well, let's talk about a few of those issues or related to that today. Now, in the, in the Matthew telling of the prayer, uh, Jesus puts it in the context of spiritual disciplines. The whole Sermon on the Mount and uh, telling of the prayer is a part of the context of what it means to be a kingdom person. And so, uh, as a kingdom person, Jesus said, this is a model for your prayer. In Luke, in um, Luke uh, 6, uh, we read that, um, that the disciples came to Jesus and they asked Jesus to teach them to pray like John taught his disciples to pray. And then in that, in that context, Jesus gives the prayer to them. But when we pray our Father... I was thinking about that this last few weeks after Pastor Joshua asked me to preach today. Um, Jesus did not teach his disciples to say, my father. Do you notice that? He says, our father. And so I want to talk about what it means, some of those things it means about being Jesus, our father. So the first part of our has to do with Jesus himself. Uh, now, the scripture teaches us that Jesus was in heaven with the father, John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that he sent his son so that we might have salvation. And so we understand that, that in, the, in, the, in the understanding, in the context of Jesus' life, he lived in glory. Now, the scriptures tell us that he ascended back into heaven, and so he is there at the right hand of the Father. And, and the Gospels tell us, I mean, the uh, book of Hebrews tells us he's the intercede, interceding for us now. He, when we pray, he intercedes for us with the Father. And so, so when, when we think about the first part of what it means that we join the prayer and say, Our Father, we understand that Jesus is our example for that. In Luke 6, 12, we see that Jesus prayed. Uh, there, let, let me read the part of this verse for you. Uh, and it was at this time that he went off to the mountains to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And so we know that, that one of the aspects of Jesus' relationship with his father was the aspect of Jesus' prayer ministry. In other places in the scripture, it talks about where Jesus would be, they would be looking for him, and, and they would go and they would find him because he had been out in prayer in this passage in Luke, uh, Jesus is just about to choose his 12 disciples. And it says he spent the whole night in prayer before he made that understanding. Now, uh, we know that the, maybe the most famous prayer time that we have with Jesus has to do with where he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. At that night before his arrest, he spent that time praying. And it says that his prayer was so powerful. It, it was so emotionally draining to him. It says his, his, the sweat, he was sweating. The sweat was like drops of blood. It tells us the passion that Jesus had in his prayer. The other thing that we learn about Jesus was he was obedient to the Father. And uh, in uh, John 12, we have this passage. It says, uh, Jesus says, For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who has sent me has given me commandment and what to say and what to speak. 
So the two aspects of Jesus' life that we understand were in his relationship with his father had to do with prayer and obedience to the Father's will. If you go to the Gospel of John especially, there's about five or six times where Jesus is challenged. Why do you do what you do? Why do you say what you say? Why are you, how, what authority are you using to do these things? And in each of those instances, Jesus says, I'm doing what my Father has shown me to do. So when we think about the Our Father, Jesus' prayer and his relationship with his Father was marked by his prayers his intensity of his prayers, and by his obedience to the Father's will. Now, we know that Jesus knew the Scriptures, right? Because he quotes the Scriptures a lot when he is challenged by different authorities. And when he's teaching his disciples, he uses Scripture. In fact, in Matthew 5, it says, when he talks about the law, Jesus said, I didn't come to undo the law. I came to make the law totally understandable, fulfill the law. And so we know that Jesus' commitment was for prayer and for obedience. So the next person that we might look at that uh, would be uh, 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 the, in the hour of our Father would be us personally. Now, can you really say to your father, my father, or the, if you have siblings, our father, if you're not one of the children? Not technically, you can't do that. And so when we pray our father, one of the things that we understand is that God has given to us a person, an opportunity to have a personal relationship with him. And when we have that personal relationship with Jesus, that gives us the opportunity then to say, Our Father. We join with other believers, and, and we have this individual personal relationship with God. We have this time of understanding. Uh, the key to praying Our Father is the same key that Jesus had, and that was prayer and obedience. What is, what is prayer but our, our speaking to our Father? It, it, it is our challenge. You know, the, the Lord's Prayer, that we call it, the model prayer from Matthew that we're looking at today, uh, goes on and it gives other instructions. My concern is that many people think they can say Our Father without having a true understanding of what it means to be in that personal relationship with God. The, the, the Lord's Prayer has become so common in our culture and in the culture of many different parts, aspects of our culture that it's just called the Our Father. If somebody says, well, let's say the Our Father, they, most people understand what they're asking for. But do people truly, really have that concept of what it means to be in that relationship with God? And when you're in that personal relationship with God, what you do is you understand that what Jesus said was true is true. So when we read the scriptures, uh, we, we understand that what Jesus says uh, and what, what the whole Bible says to us is the word of God. Now, here, here's the, the thing. People may say, well, I believe the Bible. And I heard, heard a pastor say this many decades ago now. And he says the part of the Bible you actually believe is the part of the Bible you actually do. Think about that. You may say, oh, I believe the Bible, but then when you study the Bible, when you read the Bible, and you see the instruction of God, what Jesus did was he said he only did the things that the Father revealed to him, the things that the Father showed to him. So in our prayer life, we seek to know who God is. We seek to know what, the, what God is doing in our lives. And when we understand and know and 
feel that presence of God and we read the scriptures and the scriptures give us instructions about how to live our life, how to be in relationship with our family and friends, how to do all of those things, then we have to decide, I'm going to be obedient to God's word. Now, in our culture, that's a very difficult thing because our culture has given us so many alternatives to what the scriptures say. But we have to be willing to commit ourselves to that obedience. Now, a lot of times when I was doing counseling, uh, I would say to people, you have to be obedient to the Word of God no matter how you feel. You ever, you ever feel like, well, I read that passage, but I don't really don't feel like going that way. I don't really feel like doing that way. What happened to Adam and Eve in the garden? The, the serpent came and said, uh, God didn't really mean what he said. Do you, you really think God meant what he said? And because of that, they sinned. Because they doubted what God meant what he said. And we understand the power of the deceiving world that we live in, which tells you don't have to do it God's way. You can do it the way you want to do it. Well, here on Father's Day, let's, let's take this and apply this to the next level. And that would be, what, is about, what does our Father say to us about our relationship with our family? In our relationship with our family, we understand, uh, again, the power of the culture that we live in. Now, I don't want to be too unkind, but in our culture, fathers have been pretty much relegated to a bi biological function. And even for many people in their decision-making about having families, they decide, well, we don't need a father to be a part of this. We'll do a different way. We'll find a different way to have children. Now, in our culture, uh, there's been a great battle, and, and in America, we've lost that battle with what it means to be a family, what it means to be a father, what it means to have the kind of relationships that are, are characterized by when we read the study in the scriptures about, uh, about how we ought to exercise ourselves as a family. I, I, I want to read to you from Deuteronomy 6. It's a familiar passage, but I want to put it in the context of our families. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, the scripture says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord God has commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land that you are about to go into. The Israel was about to cross the Jordan River. As you... And so that as you go, your son and your grandson might fear the Lord and the Lord and, and God to keep you in, in the statutes and his commandments, which I command. And you will all the days of your life that you may have uh, them prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be wet well with you, that it may be that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord your God of your fathers has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Here, this is a familiar part. It's called the Shema in a lot of places. In verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons. 
and shall talk to them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be a frontlet on your forehead and you shall write them on your doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now, the, the context of family that God puts his word in, in this scripture and, of course, many other scriptures, but specifically in this scripture, is that the, the purpose of the family is to teach the children about God. Now, in our culture, this has been relegated in so many ways to other faculties. We have people who bring their children to Sunday school or church or say, you, you ought to take your children to Sunday school so that they can learn about God. And that's true. However, the scripture says the first part of that teaching should happen at your house. When should it happen? All the time. Should it be a part of your rising up in the morning? Should it be a part of your walking around through the day? Should it be a part of your lying down at night? You know, many families do good at telling a story or having a prayer at night, but, but how, how are we understanding that our children are going to learn who God is? How are our children going to learn who a heavenly father is? And on this Father's Day, we have to understand that a big part of this responsibility lies with the fathers. And when the fathers lead their homes in this understanding of who God is, then God blesses that. According to the scripture, God blesses that. According to the scripture, when we speak about him, when we talk about him all the ways that we do in every, con every context of our life, if, if you go out in the yard and you're talking about the plants or the seeing the animals, the birds, then, then somehow that needs to connect to, to how you explain who God is. And when you explain who God is in that context, then the scripture says you will be blessed. In fact, it says not only will you be blessed, but your fathers, your children, your grandchildren will be blessed. Now, sadly, when we go to the book of Joshua, <coughs> and um, uh, we, we have these stories about how Israel conquered the land, but when we go to the book of Judges, even in chapter 2, the early part of the book of Judges, we have this story in chapter 2 that tells us that that Joshua in his generation knew the Lord. The children that came from Joshua heard about the Lord, and the third generation, it says, were pagans. They worshipped idols. How, how quickly does that happen in our culture? Because we have taken out of our culture the understanding that it is our responsibility as families, our responsibility as fathers, to teach our children about who God is. Not only just to teach them, it says, not just in their minds, but it says heart. It uses that specific word about putting this into our hearts. Now, it's one thing for us to say we know the scriptures. It's one thing to say that we pray. It's another thing to de demonstrate that to our families. It's another thing to demonstrate that to the world in which we live. If we say we have a Bible, uh, there's a famous story about a man who found a Bible on a church pew, and the cover of the Bible was all tattered, and it was, you could tell it was well-worn and everything, but when the man opened the Bible, the, the inside hadn't been used at all, just the outside. Somebody had carried it around, and it carried it around to the degree that it was tattered, but when they opened it up, the pages were still sticking together because it hadn't been opened and read. 
And in our homes, we have to understand that what God wants us to do is not just to have a Bible. In my house, we've got too many Bibles, probably. We've got them in every room. But it, it is to open the Bible, to, to do what this passage in Deuteronomy, where God told Israel to do, and we transfer that to us in the church, that we are to be responsible for not just teaching, but for living when we rise up, when we walk during the day, when we lie down at night, it's a strange thing that God tells them to put it on their doorpost and put it on their gatepost. What it means is that there is a visualization that we believe what God says. And many Jewish homes still today will have things on their doorpost and on their gatepost that are this verse that we read, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And so those are the words which uh, become visualizations. We, un- we, we have to stop and we have to understand that in this world and in this culture that we live in, without this kind of diligent study, without this kind of diligent, diligent uh, efforts, then the, the things of this world are going to steal away those uh, issues. In, our, in, the, in the scriptures, we read that um, the family was the key concept of, um, uh, of how, the, how the church began to really function. Uh, so the, the next issue that we have here is that the church becomes, or our congregation becomes, uh, at the extension of these things. So I know Pastor Joshua, one of the things he's been saying to us is he wants us to be one family. There's a unity, but, but there, that is an extension of our personal families. It's also an extension of our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And when we have in place that personal relationship with Jesus Christ and we are diligently seeking him and his word and we, we are responsible in prayer, then, uh, then we can extend that into our family with integrity. We can understand the power of God's moving in us because it is uh, uh, extended uh, through our rising up, our walking together in the day, our coming together in the evening where we do that. And then, then we, can, it, we can extend that into our church family. When all of our families are doing that, then w- what we understand is the power of God's work and God's love in, in us. And we understand that what has happened to us is not just about us. Remember I said, we don't pray my father, we pray our father. And so when we think about all of that ramifications of that, that extends into our congregation. Uh, it's often been said about Ashley River Baptist Church, if you call for a prayer meeting, you get a handful of folks. If you call for a business meeting where you're going to have some kind of controversy, you can pack the room. Now, shouldn't that be opposite? Shouldn't the prayer life of our church by the instruction of God, be the most important thing that we do. We are blessed, blessed, blessed to have a pastor who opens the Word of God week by week, gives us instruction from the Scripture. We put those things together in, in, in the preaching and the teaching that goes on in Ashley River Baptist Church. But the application of those things is the important part of what we're talking about here. The application of those things is what 
in some circles, discipleship or spiritual formation. That, that's how that happens. Uh, within our small groups in our church, Sunday school groups, other kinds of small groups, we, we dig into the scriptures. We, we develop relationship. We develop this prayer kind of, uh, of concern. So I know that this morning in Gloria's Sunday school class, which is the joy class over in the fellowship hall, uh, they will be really concerned about, about the needs of the family. They'll be praying about those things because they have a strong relationship. They've built a strong relationship over these years. And we need to have those small groups who build that relationship. Then we need to coalesce those small groups into our church congregation in such a way that what we understand is the power of God. Um, don't mess this thing up. In Acts 2:42, we read about the beginning of the church. On the day of Pentecost, it was a great uh, calling out of people from every uh, different language group. Am I still there? Okay. All right. But I, but, but I want to read that verse to you, and I want to put it into a different context. And in Acts 2:42, it says, "And they were continually devoting themselves in their four things." They were continually devoting themselves. Now, when you, when you devote yourself to something, is that just a casual relationship? No. It's not casual at all. It's, it's, it has that intensity. And it says these are the things that they were doing. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, at this time in the church, they had all the, the, the well, the 11 disciples and then the new disciple, which was elected in the first part of chapter 2. And uh, these people had direct uh, understanding. They had walked with Jesus. And so their teaching was that. But we also know it was more than that because when Peter preaches in the early part of Acts chapter 2, he quotes from the Old Testament. So it was not just the stories about Jesus and the miracles and the things that Jesus did. It was more than that. It was the teachings that had come down to them and the application of that. Some of the miraculous stories about Jesus in, remember on the road to Emmaus, Jesus was walking with two people and, and uh, they didn't understand about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus, the scripture says, Jesus took the Old Testament and he taught them all the things that led up to what happened in his life. And so the context of, of apostles' teaching here is not just uh, the stories about Jesus, but it, is, it, it continues to be about uh, the, the whole, scripture, whole uh, of Scripture. The second thing it did, it says, they devoted themselves to apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Now, as Baptists, we understand fellowship. What does that mean? Food. Yeah, no, that's not what this word means. Sorry. This word means that they developed relationships that, that had depth to them. It, they participated with each other. This word fellowship means literally they participated with each other. In our church, we have people who say, well, we, we need, well, Lauren's going to say it. We need some more workers for Bible school. And what happens to many maybe most of the people in our congregation when someone like her or John or the pastor's nominating committee or somebody says, we need volunteers, everybody starts going, eh, not me, not me. Well, this word says they didn't do that. They formed into a body in which 
They had true koinonia fellowship. We understand a little bit about that word, but that's what, that's what happened here. So, so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread. And the breaking of bread, we know they went house to house eating with each other, but this specifically refers to the Lord's Supper. Uh, they, they, they were understanding the context of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his body and his blood. And it, it says that they were devoted to understanding that within the context of the church. What does it mean that in the body of Christ we have this understanding that God's made this sacrifice for us? And then third, fourthly, it says, and they devoted themselves to prayer. Uh, that, that might not be a bad model for all of our churches, right? That we, we might devote ourselves. We might not just be casual members of our congregation, but that we might be devoted members of our congregation who give themselves to scriptures, who give themselves to helping relationships. We know right after this it says that people began to do everything they could to meet the needs of the other members. And so that was the context of, of which they were devoting themselves, uh, devoting themselves to understanding the body and the blood, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and ultimately to devote themselves to prayer. We know that the book of Acts is, has a lot of miracles in it, and, and many of those miracles have to do with the fact that people were praying. Uh, when Peter was up on the roof there, and uh, he, he began to pray, uh, the, the Lord revealed to him by lowering a sheet that had all the different kind of animals and said, take and eat. And he said, no, Lord, I'm a pure Jew. He's, they, and the Lord came back to him and said, what I say is clean is clean. There's nothing unclean that I say is clean. And that, that understanding of uh, that kind of relationship, that what God has done, and that extends us to the last point. You didn't think I was going to get to the last point, did you? And that is, we do this in terms of our relationship with the church, capital C Church, the ecclesia, the called out people. This morning, I'm sure that places where the time zones have been extended and even over toward uh, my friends who are missionaries in Taiwan, uh, they were worshiping today, the same Lord we're worshiping. They were opening the same Bible we are opening. They were doing fellowship in the same manner that we do fellowship and building relationships. They were caring for each other and helping each other. In fact, I know it because I see on Facebook in summer they have a lot of mission groups that come over there, and there's a group from Montana over there right now. And they go around and they tell what they call His Story, capital H-I-S, His Story. And they are allowed to go into the schools, and they are allowed to go into the schools and tell about the gospel. And so they have groups that do that. They, they understand the larger principle, and we need to understand the larger principle that what God is doing in our congregation is not just limited to these buildings. It's not just limited to this, this property. Uh, last night, uh, Jennifer and I and some of the other members of our church went to the uh, premiere of the new uh, uh, film about the Emmanuel uh, church shooting. I recommend it. It's going to be in theaters here pretty soon. But we, we were there, and, and it's a, it is a very emotional experience. But a part of what has come out of that uh, experience is that you understand Charleston's response to 
the shooting was different than it was in places like Ferguson, Missouri, or Baltimore, when there were shootings and uh, uh, unwarranted massacres of people, shots, fired, deaths, and then there were riots and all of that. And all of that didn't happen in Charleston. And in this film, it says that the, in the context of forgiveness, Charleston had remained calm. But out of that has come a movement, and I'm not sure we've been understanding it, even knowing about that. Most of you might not even known that this film was being shown or going to be produced because it's uh, just because of the publicity of it. But we have to understand that what God has done is not just in Taiwan. God is at work in Charleston. There is a, an, a group that's been formed uh, to help us to understand the larger context of the church, capital C Church. It's, it's called Mission Charleston. If you want to Google that and look at it, you can see the, the, the idea of Mission Charleston. The idea is that when we understand the church, we understand that it is not just us. We pray our Father. And when we pray our Father, we are also praying the same prayer that our members of uh, other congregations down the street, around the corner, and the other side of town, e even in our city, are praying that prayer. That, that we're praying our Father. And, and the, the idea is that God is at work in so many different venues in so many different ways. We should be thankful that our Charleston Baptist Association uh, is one of the leading groups in helping this time of understanding other congregation, reconciliation, uh, coming together for prayer, coming together uh, for ministry. So, you have, so we have this context. When we say our Father, what, what are we saying? <clears throat> We're saying that Jesus gives us the model for that. The model for that is prayer. The model for that is obedience to God's word. And he gives that to us in a form in which we can apply it to our personal lives. This morning, if you're here and you've never made that step of faith in which you've said, God, I'm a sinner and I need grace. I need your salvation. And I believe that the scripture says that if I will believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus died on the cross for me, you will save me. If you've never done that, today is your opportunity to do that. And we would ask you and encourage you to be able to, to do that if you've never done that before. But maybe today you're within the context of a family where everything hasn't gone according to what Scripture says. Maybe you've not been diligent in teaching each other, in, in helping each other, in being in relationship with each other. I've, I've heard it said many times, the most difficult people to, to witness to are your family. Why? Why is it? Why is it difficult? They know you. So the difference has to be you. They has to see that change in your life. And when they see that change in your life, then you have a way of speaking to them in a way that you can't if, if, you, if your relationships have not been good. So we have a, within the context of our family, we are to also be people of prayer and we're to be people of the word. We're to study the scriptures together. We're to read the scriptures together. Uh, it's often said about Baptists that on the way home from church on Sunday morning, they have fried pre preacher instead of fried chicken. So uh, we need to, to, to go out of the church on Sunday morning after the pastor has opened the word of God to us 
and we, we need to, to debate and discuss and to do what it says in Acts 17.10 about the Bereans. They heard Paul preach and then they went and studied the scripture to make sure what he said was right. That, that, that's the kind of attitude that we are to have as families. That we are to talk about the scriptures as we are instructed all the time. And then we understand that that extends to our congregation. When individuals in our congregation come together uh, uh, on Sunday morning or on other events or on other times of ministry, then we do that, we do that in, a, in a good way because God is already at work as, uh, in us as individuals and his families, and now we extend that into our congregation. This morning, I know we have new people who are here who have not been in our congregation before. And we need to make sure that our congregation is a place where people can come and they can know that what we do is according to God's word, what we do is according to the provision of care that God has extended to us. And then finally, we know that God has extended his work in our kingdom world all the way around the world, all the way around the world, but also in our neighborhoods. And there there are Christians in our neighborhoods uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter what denomination they go to or no matter what race they are, that all of those things, uh, God, is, God is at work building his kingdom in the city of Charleston. And that we, we just have that unique opportunity because there are leaders in our community who are calling for churches to make that response. So wherever you are today in your relationship with, with the congregation, with the life of of how God is at work uh, in you and your family and our community, our church, all of those things. We're going to pray the prayer now that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. But I, when, when we pray those first two words, I want you to think about where you are. What is the context of your life? What is the context of where we are as a congregation and as a city? So let's pray the prayer that comes from Matthew chapter 5. And uh, I think most of you know and I've and uh, we'll, let's pray it together. And remembering the Our Father part of it comes before, and the understanding of that comes before we can apply the rest of the prayer. All right, let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now we want to give you a chance to respond this morning. And if you have a concern or issue or of life that you would like to speak to someone of, one of us, Either myself or one of our other deacons will be glad to speak with you. And we'll be here at the front. And after our service, if you're new in our community, I've met a couple of new people today, and you have questions about our congregation, the things that we do and how we do things, then I'll be here. I'll stay here at the front, and we can have some extended conversations. All right, David. <clears throat>